Well, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Um, If you don't have a Bible, there's one provided for you in the back of the pew there in front of you. I actually didn't capture the page number as I usually do, but it's in the middle. Uh, Psalm. Psalms. And it'll also be on the screen. so if you'll begin turning there, the, the title of this morning's message is Getting Settled in Unsettled Times. Getting Settled in Unsettled Times. And what do you tend to do when you're unsettled? Because most of us have a default mode when you just, when you just feel unsettled. It's hard maybe sometimes even to put a finger on it exactly, why you feel the way you feel. But what do you, what do, you do? What's your default mode? Do you worry um, do you sort of roll up your sleeves and try to fix it, whatever it is? Even when you don't know what it is, do you try to find something to fix anyway? Or maybe find somebody to blame. You still don't know what it is, so you can't possibly know who's responsible. But it just feels better blaming somebody, perhaps. But what is your default mode. Psalm 46 gives us uh, really some uh, rich and important insight into that question of how we can get settled in unsettled times. So let's look there together quickly this morning at Psalm 46, and I'm going to ask if you're able to stand to give special attention to what God has to say to us in his word this morning. Psalm 46, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river uh, whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we do thank you for the inspired word we find in the scriptures, Lord, that we we open it and by your spirit, they come alive, bring to us truth and life in ways that we need to hear, in the ways that we need to be ministered to, God. And we sometimes marvel, we often marvel at how you're able to do that, even in a room Uh, full of this many people, how you are able 
to use your word to minister to that and apply that in a variety of ways. We ask you, Lord, that you would do that this morning. There are so many things that could be said about any given psalm and so many things that will not be said today. So God, would you choose words even as I speak, Lord? Would you choose the words I speak and open ears and hearts to hear them as you've intended today? So speak, Lord, your word by your spirit, through your servant, to your people, for your glory, Lord. Move me out of the way and use my voice as your instrument today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you, if you zoom out a little bit from that psalm, um, you may notice the word selah used three times at the end of verses 3, 7, 11. If you have the NIV, I think you don't see selah in there. Um, but in other translations, you do. And the point being, it, it simply divides... Uh, the psalm into three sections. That's kind of helpful to know how it's outlined. Um, much has been written um, about the word Selah. Would you see it primarily in the Psalms? Uh, much has been written about what the word means, but actually its meaning is very uncertain. And so I won't spend time to tell you, spend time today telling you all the things that people don't know that it means. We won't even bother with that, but it, uh, but it seems to be a musical term that, that gives some direction, uh, perhaps to singers or musicians or whatever, but it also serves to, to just provide breaks in the psalm. And so we see um, kind of the way it's structured here and divided into these three sections. And so we might say that verses one through three um, describe God's help in distress. The verses four through seven describe God's presence in his city. And the verses eight through 11 describe God's exaltation among the nations. Um, but it's sort of broken down that way. And if we looked a little more closely, we'd also notice that each of those sections is sort of anchored by a common confession. Notice in verse one, God is our refuge and strength. Verse seven says, uh, at the end of the second part of it there, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Verse 11, the same phrase, the God of Jacob is our fortress. In fact, this Psalm 46 uh, inspired or whatever, was, gave inspiration to uh, Martin Luther when he wrote, a mighty fortress is our God. Uh, and in fact, the, the Lord of hosts um, that he speaks of there, that the Psalmist speaks of in verse 7 and 11 um, in Hebrew would be the Lord Sabaoth. And we hear that in the, uh, if you remember, the mighty fortress is our God. The uh, Lord Sabaoth is he, is Lord of hosts. This is the Psalm that inspired Martin Luther. He's a, he's a refuge. He is a fortress. The picture is of um, very often a place high on um, a, a mountainside or a cliff or whatever that would be hard to get to. But, but once you got to it, you would find a secure place of refuge. Um, the best, uh, best of those would be um, easily defensible positions because they'd be hard for an enemy to attack from. So you find both shelter, um, refuge, and, and a fortress and God is that, the psalmist is telling us. Uh, this psalm is also one of 
several that place special emphasis on Zion. We, we uh, get that emphasis here in verses 4 through 7. There are others that are even... Uh, that elaborate on that point even more. And that would be one of the distinguishing characteristics of this psalm, that it's kind of a psalm of Zion. But I, I think that is a, is a reminder of, you know, God's special love for his people, his special care for his people, and his abiding presence with his people. It's a reminder, too, um, that we are a people. Um, that, that, that God is not solely interested in your salvation and mine as individuals, your spiritual health and mine as individuals, but he um, set out and continues to set out to save a people for himself. And it's even part of our, the value in confessing the Apostles' Creed um, when we do, that we, that we make confession along with the church all over the globe today, but also all throughout the centuries that are his people. But those of us who are familiar with this psalm really know it best, not for its Zion emphasis, but the way it begins in verse 1 is a common common verse uh, for those who are familiar with the psalm, and the way that it concludes with verse 10. And, And it's not just that those are precious memory verses or devotional verses or whatever, but that in a, in, in a certain respect, they, they really sum up, they get to the heart of the message. And the essence of that um, is that God is a refuge, that God is present, and that God is enough. And I, I've not outlined the sermon um, along those lines per se, but if you just wrote that down and nothing else that I said makes sense, um, that's really sort of the point. You could go back and try to uh, make sense of yourself. But that God is a refuge, uh, that he's present, and that he's enough. So, so let's sort of tease that out a little bit and look first at the fact that he is a present refuge in trouble. If you look at verse 1, it says... That God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Um, as I said, a refuge would be sort of a fortress, a shelter. I mean, it could, it could serve in a variety of ways. Not, not all hiding places are necessarily strong places, though, right? I mean, you can, uh, you can find, maybe you, I don't know if you've ever done this, been out um, hiking or um, camping, probably not many of you, but anyway. Um, but, you know, you, 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 might be, you might try to get out of the rain, for example, and then find it's good shelter from the rain, but uh-oh, for some reason, this isn't a good place to be. Uh, maybe because you see a bear not too far away and you're surrounded by blueberries or something, or, um, you know, because you're down near a riverbed that is going to flood as that rain keeps coming, whatever the case may be, um, a place of refuge is not necessarily a strong place. God, though, the psalmist says, is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. Once again, there, there are times when um, you can know what would be helpful is just not present. You've had the experience before of, um, of saying, I have an umbrella at home, right? Or in my car, and it just started pouring rain and whatever it is. If it's, if it's not present, it's not helpful. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. But I want to 
really sort of dig down on this word trouble a little bit so we get a sense of what we're even talking about when we say God is a very present help in trouble or when we know the experience. When I said, what are you, what's your default mode when you're unsettled? We all know what, what that means, right? Like it, nobody really needs to define it. We know the feeling of just being unsettled. Um, in a similar way that we, we know the experience of being troubled. But the, the Hebrew word translated trouble here is sometimes translated distress as well. Uh, rendered trouble here, I think, in just about every major English translation you'll find. And that's what it means, okay? It, it, the word means trouble. Well, what's interesting is this same Hebrew word um, can also carry the idea of tightness or narrowness. Uh, and so you get the, the, the sense of this, that, that sense of meaning in the word, and from Job um, 36, 16. So listen to this, uh, which is from the, the ESV. But it says, he also allured you out of distress into a broad place where there was no cramping. He delivered you out of distress, what the word here that's translated trouble, into a broad place. And in fact, in the King James, uh, that same verse in Job um, says something like, he would have delivered thee out of the straits into a broad place where there is no straightness. But straight, a straight, as you know, is a narrow channel of water uh, that, you, that technically that connects two larger bodies of water. Sometimes just used to refer to a, a, a narrow channel. But we, we know, living here on the coast, uh, we know that narrow channels of water can be treacherous, especially... Um, difficult to navigate in at times. As a matter of fact, rip tides, rip currents are essentially narrow channels of water of a different kind, and you don't see them underneath the water. Um, but because it is water being pinched through a narrower place in the sand, um, it rushes out and, and it sweeps people away. And it's why there have been um, seven drowning deaths in North Carolina already, and we're hardly even to official summer season. Five of those uh, drowning deaths have been from rip currents. But we know it well around here um, because of the inlets too, right? I hope you know this, like don't swim in the inlets. <laughs> uh, that, that water moves faster and in a more turbulent way in inlets, in straits, in rip currents, and so forth. Because in, in, in inlets, um, as I said, water is, it's the same volume of water being pressed through a narrow channel. And it's going to get there. It's sort of like when you put your thumb over the end of the hose on your hose and it, and, and it sprays harder, right? There's the same volume of water is going through now. You've just given it a narrower space to travel through. It travels faster in a little bit more turbulent way. That's what happens in straits and inlets. Often you have, uh, you, you add to that the fact that current is moving in different directions in these, in these tight places of water, in, in straits and in inlets. 
Uh, for example, in our inlets here, you get tides coming in and out, right? You also get uh, basically river currents going out all over the, uh, the North Carolina coast. R rivers flow into the sounds and then out into the ocean. So you've got water moving in multiple directions. You've got um, it's flowing faster because it narrows and all that. And, and again, if you, if you do any boating, you know um, that many inlets you ought to avoid altogether. But if you're going to navigate them, you navigate them carefully. You don't navigate those passages on autopilot, right? You see you tracking with me here? There's a sense in which this, this uh, narrowness um, communicates something about trouble and in fact uh, is associated with, in, in bodies of water, is associated with troubled waters. And whether the inspired writer of the psalm here intended that association uh, directly, I don't know. As I said, troubled, the word means troubled. I don't, I, don't want you to, I don't want you to lose sight of that, okay? It doesn't mean anything other than troubled. Troubled means troubled. But this illustration is helpful. And what's interesting is the way that the psalmist illustrates what he's talking about in verses 2 and 3. He says, therefore, we will not give, oh, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains tremble at its swelling. What's interesting is uh, you, you could picture a strait bounded on both sides by uh, a mountain, which is a common sort of geographical feature around the globe. I mean, you could imagine that actually providing exactly this picture. Uh, that the narrow strait has mountains that then begin to fall into the tremble and quake and fall into the heart of the sea. The water's roaring and all that kind of stuff. And he's saying that even if that happens, we will not fear. Narrow waters are troubled waters. And, 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 and troubled circumstances, a troubled spirit uh, has a sense of tightness to it. And think about the language we even use uh, in this regard. We, we, we say phrases like, I'm kind of in a tight spot right now. Um, I'm, I'm in a bit of a pinch. Or maybe I'm feeling the squeeze uh, at work right now or whatever the case may be. In other words, just intuitively, this fits the experience. We know that something has sort of tightened in on us when we are troubled. Um, it's, it's narrowed. We face adversity of some sort, but now we have fewer options. Uh, we, we, we have to be more attentive. We can't just operate on default mode, on autopilot, as it were. We... Uh, we have less time, perhaps, to respond to whatever the circumstances are. We have less control. Maybe we have no options and no control. I mean, there's, in other words, there's nothing really we can do. As I said, like at the, at the beginning, you might, you might default to fix-it mode, and there's nothing really you can fix, but you, you look for something to fix anyway. But there are plenty of times in life we, we, we have to go through the turbulence. 
And again, to, to sort of extend the metaphor of uh, inlets and channels and so forth, you know, there are, there are people uh, around the world who make their life um, either make their uh, living, you know, either fishing, um, navigating ships of one sort or another, and they have to pass through some treacherous waters as a part of that. That's just part of what they have to do. And life brings us to that. We have to go through the turbulence. We can't avoid it. We can't do anything to make it less threatening. And so uh, they're apt to keep us awake at night, aren't they? Those kinds of circumstances. When you start feeling the squeeze, we might actually relate best with, with trouble in this sense uh, when it's a loved one who is directly experiencing the adverse circumstances. Because the pain is real for you, but you can't do anything about it. So maybe it's a loved one who is sick. You're very sick. And you, you can't do anything to make them better. Maybe it's a child who is wandering or straying from the Lord, straying from the family, straying from everything they've uh, ever heard from you is right and good. And, and they're taking greater and greater risks. And you feel the trouble of that, that you can't do anything about it. Maybe it's a loved one struggling with substance abuse or mental illness. And you can't even stand to watch it. In fact, uh, maybe sometimes the greatest gift from God is when um, all of that is removed far enough away from you that you just can't see it. Because as often as you do, you can't bear to see it. Now that's trouble, isn't it? That's troubling. You get squeezed, tightened, and there's, and there's nothing that you can do to fix it, including your worrying or blaming. And some of those cases, those loved ones are right where they have chosen to be, um, and for the time being, they're right where they want to be, but they're not where they ought to be. They're not where you want them to be. And you've told them that. You've said all you can say. You might have even said too much. So that now the relationship's even strained. There's a brokenness there. That adds to the stress because you've almost broken off communication with that person, but regardless, nothing you can do about the circumstances, and you might even wish you could substitute yourself for them. Maybe you said, if, if I could have this sickness, I would. If I could take it on myself. If I could donate any organ and make it better, I would. If, I, if there was any way to transplant my whole life, I would. But you can't. That's trouble. That's trouble. And God, the psalmist says, is a very present help and trouble. And so what do we do then? 
Because isn't that what you always want to know? So what do I do? When the earth gives way, when the, when the mountains are moved, the waters roar and foam, when nations and kingdoms totter, and it looks like the whole world is going to fall apart, how do we respond when we are reminded that we are in the presence of God who causes wars to cease? Who speaks and the earth melts. I love that phrase. What are we to do? Well, verse 10 says, be still. And you wanted something more practical than that. And isn't that revealing? Isn't that very fact revealing? I mean, that really, that we want to be, we understand we can't do anything, but I want to do something. But tell me something I can do. Be still, he says. And given the overarching message of this psalm, it does seem that command is directed at us, his people. God is our refuge and strength. He is our fortress. Be still. Um, It's interesting, though, have you ever considered the fact that those words could also be addressed to the raging seas. To the raging nations. To the earth itself that want to get an attitude with God, it seems. That those words could just as well be applied uh, not only to the troubled people, but to the circumstances that are the cause of their trouble. And there's an interesting parallel to be found if you think of it in, that ter- in those terms. A really interesting parallel to be found in Jesus' calming of the storm, isn't there? Because, because the disciples are sailing in the boat in troubled waters. And Jesus is the model of being at rest in the situation because he's asleep in the back of the book, in the back of the boat. I mean, you can't be more still than that, right? Sleeping in a storm, the boat's being rocked or whatever. But he's present with them and they go to him with their trouble. And he says to the storm, peace, be still. And in a sense, know that I am God. And they knew he was God uh, right after they saw that. And he says, why why are you afraid? And I'm thinking, I think that's pretty legit. You know, pretty, like, I know why I would be afraid. The waves are coming in the boat, Jesus. You know, it's filling up with water. It's going to sink. And now we're going to be in that water. I mean, that seems like, you know, if you're going to be afraid, that's as good a reason any to be afraid. But again, that puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Because it's a real question from him. If you really understand who is present with you, then there's no cause for being afraid. Well, they didn't really understand, but he was a very present help in that time of trouble. 
And what the psalm says is God is that present. A very present help in time of trouble who would say to us, be still. And he is the one who can say to our circumstances, be still. But even if the seas continue to rage and the waters continue to foam, he's the one who can navigate safely through it. And so here's a profound tidbit of wisdom. Um, When there is nothing you can do, do nothing. When there's nothing you can do, do nothing. Now again, that sounds trite, but it's a little bit interesting, isn't it? How when we know there's nothing we can do, we still clamor for something to do. We because we can't just we can't just sit still. That's exactly what he says to do. Be still and know that I am God. You know what that that means that our our prayer life has to go way beyond you know the 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 scene in you know an old american movie where the the uh strong um you know pull yourself up by the bootstraps man is saying god i'm not a praying man but if you're up there i could really use some help <laughs> okay you're you're not going to you're not going to get still if that's your that's the sort of the depth of your prayer life. You see what I'm saying? In other words, if, 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 if you're only uh, communicating with God in the times of greatest distress, you will not be able to be still because you don't yet really know that he is God. You got you to gotta linger with him some. You got to get to know him And really want what he wants. You know, the truth is, um, a great deal of our unrest comes from the fact that we still want to be the writer, producer, director, and lead actor in our story. And we want God to be supporting actor. Not best supporting actor. Sure but supporting actor, and he is not auditioning for that role. He is not auditioning for that role. And see, uh, you know, whether now or later, um, if you have the notion that that's basically the way the relationship works and that he's alongside to help your dreams become reality, uh, you are going to be terribly frustrated at some point. And that'll be an act of his grace. And as a matter of fact, one of the things you should be the most worried about is if he lets you continue with that notion. That you're Lord somehow of your own story. And that he's just alongside if you need him. Or that you come running into the refuge and you say, God, thanks for, thanks for letting me in. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll guard the east side, you guard the west. Got it? Take refuge in him 
and be still. He is enough. He is enough. And, and, and I'm quite sure there are some here today that some of even the examples that I gave of trouble, uh, because, because it is a loved one or troubled, s- some of you um, are dealing with that right now. Or maybe, maybe something else. Maybe it's, maybe it's a different kind of trouble because it's not external circumstances at all. That, that somehow the trouble is inside of you. You don't even know why. So you just have this sort of proneness toward um, anger or agitation. It may be depression or anxiety. Uh, just mood swings of some other sort. But you don't, you're not even aware if there are external factors that trigger that. You don't even know what they are. You just know you go through these seasons and there's something inside of you that's troubled. It feels like your very soul is tremoring. Such that when you run uh, for refuge, your trouble goes with you, right? Because it's inside of you. But it is God alone who could say both to you and to it, be still. And as simple and as basic as that is, um, that is hard to walk out, isn't it? For people who have always been taught and encouraged and inclined to make their own way, uh, solve their problems or whatever. There are times when it's time to do nothing but rest in what he can provide. Well, let's pray. Well, Father, we, uh, we exalt you as God who is refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble to us, who is in the midst of your people and who is uh, so powerfully Lord over creation that you speak and it's done. that the earth melts or it stands fast at your command, whatever it is you would order, so it must do. And we praise you, God. Lord, I pray that you would make yourself known to us in a deeper way. That you would make yourself known in a deeper way, Lord. People who need to be able to find Rest in times of trouble, Lord, who need to be able to get settled when they are feeling so unsettled. Would you make yourself so personally known to us that we're able to be still? And I, and I pray, Lord, for those who really are right now burdened by turbulent treacherous waters as it were that you would lead them into a still and calm and safe place all the while with the assurance that you are present that you are with them um, that you are their God and Lord of all heaven and earth bless your people in Christ's name Amen.